What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. Today is Saturday, June 4th. We promised you guys an episode yesterday, June 3rd, Friday, but that didn't happen. So we're here today, and you guys are listening to this probably on Sunday. But it is what it is because the NBA Finals game is not until Sunday night. So we'll be talking about the NBA Finals Um I guess, game one slash game two in this episode. And then we'll also talk about some NHL. We've got game two of the Rangers and Lightning series just happened last night. And then we have game two of the Avalanche, or no, game three, I think, of the Avalanche and the Oilers tonight. So we're not going to be talking about that series much because, again, that, well, it's pretty self-explanatory. The Colorado Avalanche are probably going to win that series. So we're going to be talking mostly about the Rangers and the Lightning today. And yeah, and then we'll have some, I think some Aaron Donald talk. I don't know, Matt. We have a Google Doc that we have our topics on and we put down our topics for the day and then we kind of just go off of there and we just talk about it. Not not off script, we go off the dome. But but Matt has a little topic that he's going to add here and he's going to talk about towards the end. We'll just have a little discussion on that regarding Aaron Donald, and then we'll be donezo. So that's what's on tap for today. Matt, how are you? Pretty good. Um, yeah, it's a little bit late on Saturday here, but we are in person together. I don't know if yeah. you didn't uh, mention that. But right. uh, yeah, so now that I'm kind of, you know, got all my life stuff together, I'm actually living closer to where he's at than, than I was before. And so it's going to be probably a little easier to to do, you know, this probably, you know, try to, you know, every couple weekends at least. Um, so, so yeah, that, that really helps with the, the dynamic and the flow of the pod. But, yeah, it was a little busy, so it's a little bit later in the afternoon uh, today when we're recording. But that's kind of the – I mean, it's funny because we, we've talked a lot about how the past few weekends have been, you know, full of sports. We've had horse racing. We've had F1 racing. We've had, you know, obviously the NBA and NHL playoffs when there were kind of more teams in it. There were games every day and whatnot. But now it's kind of – we're getting into that dead period of, of sports where kind of, you know, the NBA and the NHL are kind of, you know, finishing up. And, and then it's kind of just, you know, like three months of baseball. <laughs> so um, – um, Kill me. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, so regardless, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of stuff that comes out of the, the you know, the ending of, of, uh, of the NBA and the NHL seasons. And I think that that's even probably a better time to be, you know, consuming content, listening to stuff and, and kind of, you know, forming opinions on stuff just because that's kind of what everybody's watching. Right. I mean, if it was, you know, the, the, the coyotes and the Minnesota wild playing on a Wednesday night, you're not going to be really you know, even if you are an avid fan of hockey and you're watching that game, you know exactly what happens. You're not really going to find, you know, the, the the friend in your at your school or your workplace um, that's going to know exactly what went what went on. But if you're talking about, you know, the NBA Finals and it's only as many games as it takes to finish the series, that's kind of there, there's a lot more, you know, kind of riding on that uh, on that whole deal there. So um, yeah, so so that's kind of where we're going to do a little bit more deeper dive of, of what's going on, especially for the beginning of these kind of series with the NBA Finals. And then the NHL Conference Finals. Um, so, without anything further ado, let's let's get right into it, Hayden. There we go. All right, let's get straight into NBA here. Game one of the finals was last night, and well, not last night. <laughs> I wrote this thinking it was going to be Friday, and it's not Friday. It's actually Saturday. So, game one of the finals was Thursday night, two nights ago for us, and we got exactly what we, what we expected out of that game, or did we? I would say that in terms of excitement, yes, we got everything we wanted and then some. But in terms of the outcome of the game, not so much. 
Were people too high on the Warriors coming into this series, or was Thursday night's game just a display of a very streaky play from both teams, and the Celtics happened to be the last team to make a run at the perfect time? Everybody thought that the Warriors were going to come away with this win coming in. You know, it's in, it's literally in San Francisco. They're playing in San Francisco. Lots of Warriors fans there. You could tell from the jump that everybody, basically everybody there was, was rooting for the Warriors. If the Celtics made a shot, you basically didn't even hear a peep from the crowd. So it was really surprising to see the, the Celtics go in there and win that game. But again, it was kind of an even first half and then a Warriors third quarter and then a very big Celtics fourth quarter. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt here and ask his opinion. Again, the question is, were people too high on the Warriors coming into this series or was Thursday's night's game kind of just a fluke and a display of very streaky play from both teams? Um, and then the Celtics obviously just kind of had the streaky play at the right time. Well, we're going to have uh, differing opinions on this one, I can already tell yeah. you. Um, it, I think I think what the Celtics did was a fluke. I think that you know, they made 21 threes in the game. They shot 50% from the field. They shot 50% from three. You had Derek White, Al Horford, and I think Peyton Pritchard combined for like 13 of the 21 threes. Um, obviously, yes, Jason Tatum didn't have a great game and, and, you know, all of the other role players did. And so it's kind of, you know, the argument for the Celtics, I, I, I totally understand is right. You know, your best player didn't even really play a good game at all, to be honest. And you won a game on the road against, you know, the, the, the heavily favored team to, to beat you. But here's the deal. When you are that hot from like shooting, you, you can't rely on that to consistently, you know, allow you to win games. Now, obviously the argument for the Warriors is they are extremely consistent with that same exact model, but they've proved it year in and year out for literally the last almost decade at this point. I mean, you know, if they win the championship this year, you could consider it almost a dynasty. Whereas like, those two years, they just had, you know, everyone was hurt. And so, yeah, they're not going to be able to win. But, like, I, that, that's kind of where I'm coming from here is, is I think that it was definitely a surprising result. But we saw that it was pretty even in the first half. I was, you know, right, Steph, Steph hit, I think, I think six threes in the first quarter, which was which was insane. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, the Warriors are going to blow this out of the water. The Celtics come back in the second quarter. They look pretty good. They're up by two at halftime. And the Warriors had their their classic uh, one, you know, one of their classic third quarters, right? That's what they're known for. Is they always come out slow, um, and, and, and then the third quarter, they just go off. It's halftime adjustments. It's whatever Steve Kerr says in the locker room. It's however they kind of, you know, get their get their guys together and ready to go out and play. And, I, I mean, that that's what happened in this game. And then you kind of take a look at the fourth quarter where the Celtics outscored the, the – um, they outscored the Warriors 40-16. to 16. Okay, now – I'm kind of, I feel like more used to kind of what that means in context because, because of betting literally is like, you know, your average quarters, like if you're, you know, if it's like a regular game, your average score for a quarter is going to be, you know, 25 to 30 points somewhere around there. Sometimes, sometimes a little bit more. Um, because then at that point that pretty much, you know, over four quarters, that'll give you about a hundred to 110, 115 points, which is, I would say the average for most NBA teams at this point. And so Obviously, if you're going to say an average quarter is, you know, 25, 26 points, the Celtics scored 40 points um, and the Warriors scored 16. So so to me, that 
last fourth quarter is like a complete anomaly. I feel like you can just throw it out. Um, and I know that that's not super great analysis on my part, but just knowing what this Warriors team is and, and then knowing what the Celtics have kind of looked like and, and what they've been through uh, throughout the playoffs kind of on either side there. Um, I just, I, I would not expect this to continue, but at the other, you know, the other hand, they won game one in golden state when nobody would had, nobody even thought they had a chance. Right. And, and I think there was a stat after the game. It said Steve Kerr, when he's been coaching the warriors and kind of this, you know, they've, they've been kind of making this run here. Um, Steve Kerr coached warriors teams are 21 and three in game ones in any series right and and there's been sometimes when they've been away most of the time obviously they've been you know they've been at home but seriously and so before well, before this game he was 21 and 2 right and, and now they're now they're 21 3 so i think that kind of is almost even more so on the like how crazy was it that the celtics had this insane fourth quarter run um and, and clearly as we've seen you know this team has gotten so much better since the all-star break they're you know the, the number one defensive team they you know they they they're like winning margin per game is number one by a landslide. Um, and so nobody thought that they'd get to this point, but you know, kind of at the same, at the same time, nobody's really surprised at how well they keep playing because you know, when the doubters come out and say that they, they can't do something, that's, you know, just when they turn things around and, 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 and prove everybody wrong. But I don't know. I, I just, I feel like I can't give up on the Warriors this, this, uh, you know, this short, right? Um, but I, I do kind of understand where Hayden's coming from in the sense that, you know, in asking the question of like, were the Warriors overhyped going into the series? Again, it's only been one game, okay? And, you know, Sunday night is game two. So we have, you know, we'll have time. We'll see how that game goes. And, and, and hey, Celtics could win it, right? They could, they could just, they could sweep the Warriors. I mean, that would be obviously historical, whatever. But, and, and, I think after a game one performance like this, if the Celtics end up do winning the series, people are like, okay, yeah, that, you know, that could probably happen. But going into the series, you would have never even thought that. I mean, it was so funny because, you know, all the podcasts and the articles that I was, you know, that I was seeing and listening to from this past week were basically saying, like, most people were just kind of like, well, if the Celtics can win the series. Well, you know, these, you know, large, large amount of things have to go right or, you know, be in their favor in order for them to kind of pull something out. And so they were kind of trying to be even towards both sides. But you heard nobody who was like, yeah, I'm going to pick the Celtics to win the finals. And I don't know. I'm just thinking that, like, if there was no fourth quarter in that game and the Warriors ended up winning by 10, what is the narrative now? It's it's that it's that this Warriors team is back. They're going to win another NBA Finals. They're going to go into next year as the, as the you know, as the, as the favorite to win another championship because they're going to keep the guys there and, and you know, the gang's all back together. Um, I think that this one game has kind of switched up the narrative now, and obviously now the Celtics are favored to win the Finals, which, you know, who, who would have ever thought? But I, I just think that Right. Just in the fourth quarter, they scored so many points and the Warriors just didn't really do that. And so I get that. Yeah. To a certain point, like, you know, if, if you are going to be the best team in the league, you need to play consistent basketball throughout the entire game. And if you get outscored in a quarter like that, then that's, you know, some some bearing onto which, hey, you know, maybe you're not the most consistent team. Right. Maybe you're not the number one offensive team coming in the play all this stuff. Um, but I don't know. I just I, I literally I saw Boston hit. They, they hit their first seven threes in the fourth quarter, right? So they went like seven for seven for three before they missed one. And they only missed like a couple and they made nine total. So nine of their 21, nearly half of their three pointers were in the fourth quarter. And it's just like, I just think they got hot. Um, and, and you, and the basketball's a game of runs. And that's what happens when a team gets hot. That's why, that's why they play seven game series. I've talked about this however long, you know, UVA, right? Two, three years ago in, in, you know, in March Madness, they're the number one overall seed. They're playing UMBC, the 16 seed. There's no chance that UMBC is going to win, but 
they pulled off the only upset of the 60 or 16 seed over a one seed upset in the history of March Madness. Why? Because UMBC shot literally 70% from the field. UVA's defense is always one of the best in the, in, you know, in the entire country. And that was, you know, definitely true for that year. They were the best team overall, but UMBC just shot the ball so well. And it's like, if you're going to make all your shots, then you're going to win the game. And so they're going to play seven games because of the, this exact, you know, this exact scenario. So, my thoughts on it were, I do think, to answer the question, I do think that the Warriors were a little bit overhyped, kind of, kind of almost to the point where they were assumed to win, which is a horrible spot to be in because yeah. any, you know, wrong step that you make, if they had won that game by, you know, on a last second shot, it'd be like, oh, well, we don't really know, you know, because it's like the expectations for them to win when it's really like these are the two best basketball teams in the entire league and they're going to be playing for it and whoever wins, wins. And they, you know, prove that they're the better team. So I know I've been talking for like 20 minutes here, but... That's kind of my case for it. I, I do think the Warriors were, were a little bit overhyped, but I'm, all I'm saying is that there's a lot of basketball left to be played, and it's very possible for the Warriors to have a fourth quarter just like the Celtics did. And it's also very possible that, you know, if the Warriors win game two, they could just they could easily enough win game three in Boston, win game four in Boston. Um, you know, both of them, one of them, whatever it may be, this game, you know, the series could be tied 2-2 going back to Golden State for game five. It, we, who knows, right? But all I'm saying is I think that we can't go from – my overall point here is that we can't go from assuming and expecting the Warriors to just completely, you know, have no competition in this series to then saying, well, the Celtics are definitely going to win the series just because they won game one in in, uh, in Golden State. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and my incentive for writing this topic was exactly that, was to kind of establish that, hey, everybody coming into the series was way too high on the Warriors – and I get it. The Warriors are a really fun team to watch. I'd, I'd rather watch the Warriors every night than watch the Celtics every night. And that's just because they shoot, like Matt said, they shoot the lights out and they're consistent with it. And they are the most fun team to watch in the league. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be consistent like that throughout the whole entire series, right? Especially in the M M NBA Finals, the biggest stage in all of NBA. And it's, I don't know, I, th I think it was a perfect showing of of how the Celtics play of how they just you know they're quiet they're kind of a quiet team um except for when Marcus Smart is you know just all over the place and diving out of bounds and everything like that but other than that yeah like they're a quiet team that you know they're kind of silent killers and I think that the Warriors make that a little bit or like they make their silence even louder I guess and that it's kind of an oxymoron but what I'm trying to say is like the Warriors kind of are like almost too flashy to the point where the Celtics are like they're even more stealth mode or they, they seem like they're in even more of a of a stealth modey kind of play style. But yeah, I, I thought that Matt was very correct when he said that the Celtics fourth quarter was, you know, possibly like one of the best that we've seen all season. And they did it at the right time in game one of the NBA Finals. They did shoot. They sh they shot nine of eleven from three in the fourth quarter. Matt was right. I think. I think Draymond Green had an interview, like a post game interview, where he listed out Derek White, Al Horford, and Peyton Pritchard, and how they they made like fifteen of twenty three threes that they shot, which or maybe fifteen of twenty three threes that they made altogether. I don't know. No, yeah, that they shot. So they, so they, they those guys, those three guys shot twenty three threes total in the game, and they made fifteen of them. Which again is you can't really expect that. That's five from each guy. But again, it's like it's one of those things where you know Derek White. I think he's he's played a big part in um in the Celtics run. You know, in the playoffs really so far, and nobody's really given him credit for that. You guys know my case on Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown had a great game again. 
He's been so consistent throughout the whole entire playoffs. And yeah, Matt pointed out my point or pretty early on in his in his spiel there. So I'm just going to reiterate the fact that Jason Tatum probably had the worst game of the whole entire Celtics playoff run so far, and they were still able to win by what 15 or so. I don't I don't really really remember the exact uh, I guess point differential there at the end of the game, but yeah, that that I think that just kind of sums it up at how good the Celtics are and how balanced they are all around. Um, they have so many guys coming off the bench that can score so well and that can play good defense. They're, they're such a well-rounded team. And at this point, if you say that they're not the most well-rounded team in the NBA, I I would say that they have been ever since, really ever since, like Matt said, the All-Star break when they, it was middle of the season when they were, you know, 20 and 21. Um, their record is 20, 20 and 21. And then they won like 20 straight or something. And they went on this big winning streak. And then, you know, obviously now they're, they beat the Nets. If they swept the Nets in the first round and then they beat the Bucks in the second round. And again, that's the hardest, that's the toughest playoff run or the toughest, um, I guess, stretch of games that, or stretch of teams, I guess, that any team has had to go through to get to the finals. And they've done exactly that. And now they're showing everybody that, hey, the Celtics are, 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 are able to do it. They don't, they don't care if the Warriors can shoot the lights out. Again, like Matt said, Steph Curry at the beginning of the game, you know, he shot lights at the beginning of the game. He shot, uh, I think it was seven. It was like he shot seven total threes in the first quarter, I think, and he made six of them, which is, again, that's kind of like what Al Horford and Peyton Pritchard and Derek White did at the end of the game. So I don't know. I, I think that in terms of like if you're looking at it from kind of a game flow perspective, the first half seemed very lopsided towards the Warriors. It seemed like the Warriors were blowing out the Celtics. And I think at one point they had, they probably had like a seven or eight point lead at one point, but then at halftime they had a four point lead. It was, I think 56 to 52 and the Warriors were up by four and it seemed like they were up by 20. And so that's kind of what I mean when I say that the Celtics have this kind of like stealthy kind of play style where you think that they're down by a lot, but they're not, they're creeping up on you. They're right behind you the whole game. And they showed in the fourth quarter, you know, we're going to pounce on there on, on, on the Warriors and attack and uh, they got it done. So, yeah, I, I think that my that kind of like leads me into my next point um, about the whole flashy play of the Warriors and how the Warriors come into game like they I don't know, like the, the way that they play just makes it seem like they're always winning games. You know, if, if they they make like three threes in the span of. I don't know, 30 seconds. And then everybody thinks like, Oh, you know, they're, they're going to win this game. But if you watch the game on Thursday, you know, there's no doubt that you felt like the Warriors were up the whole entire game, that they were dominating the whole game. But that obviously wasn't the case at all. Like I said, you know, they were only up by four at halftime. So my question to Matt here is, is the flashy play of Steph, Steph Curry mainly, um, but I, I guess kind of the Warriors in general, because obviously, you know, we've seen Clay Thompson and, and Draymond Green kind of like strut around the court. And well, Clay Thompson makes cool threes. They just look impossible sometimes. And then Draymond Green is down low and, and you know, does his little flex muscle thing when he gets fouled and gets an and one. But, um, but yeah, so basically the question here is, is the flashy play of Steph Curry and the Warriors ironically shooting them in the foot? In other words, do the Warriors upstage themselves with their flashy play? And if you don't know what upstage means, it basically means like, do they take the spotlight of themselves, basically, um, with their flashy play? 
I think it's a I think it's a very interesting question, and I I am not exactly sure how I want to go with this. I think I could see both sides of the argument. Like I could definitely agree that you know in some in some instances they're if if they're jacking up threes and they're not hitting, then it it almost seems like they've upstaged themselves because they're used to hitting those shots, right? Or or the you know the the running around and sharing the ball and passing and passing and passing and, you know, getting those crazy cool passes to layups and, and whatever it may be. Like all that stuff is just, as Hayden said, the way that they play. Now, the way that they play has earned them the respect of, you know, everyone who's an NBA fan in the past, basically almost 10 years. Right. And so kind of because of that, you end up in a scenario where there's just a whole lot of expectation around this one team. And I mentioned this in the first point, right. Is that there's, when there's an ex- an expectation that you're going to win every game that you that you play essentially, or, or that you have the potential to go on those to go on that crazy run and and end up winning the game, then then obviously right, it's because you've earned it. Okay, like it's not like these guys are just running around the court being like, yeah, I'm gonna make all these shots, and then they don't. It's because that they won three championships. They went to five straight NBA Finals. They lost one to you know the Cavs in a you know in a Game Seven. Kyrie hits a crazy shot, and they they lost another you know they, they lost the the fifth straight NBA Finals because KD went down with a torn Achilles, right? And you had Kawhi Leonard putting the city of Toronto on his back. So like, when you kind of add all that up, it's like I just think that we've We've gotten so used to how the Warriors play, and and obviously I think that to a certain extent, when they know that they're that good, then sometimes they're going to act a little out of pocket, right? Everyone does that. If you're if you're the best in the world at what you do, you have earned the right to show off a little bit. And, and at the same time, when you aren't playing to your to your to your best ability, or you know you're missing shots, or whatever it may be, in the Warriors' case. Then yeah, I think it's 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 totally okay for you know for the media to be like this is just this is just the Warriors kind of getting into their you know getting getting it out of their system. But I don't think that happens. I think that it automatically becomes a you know they're in trouble or you know they show off too much. I, so I kind of disagree where with with how far the argument is taken in the direction of you know if, if you're not going to play this well and if you're not you know if, if you're not going to be able to win a game one at home like you're supposed to um like everyone thought that they would then you know automatically you have to stop showing off when you you know after you hit big shots or after you go on a big run um and that's another point is like everyone always says like i mentioned the third quarter thing right they always make a big run in the third quarter but they've also can do this throughout the game at any other at any other point by example of just like the media knows it, right? You hear about it all the time. It's like the Warriors are going to go on their run or, or even during the game, you know, you, either they're down or they're in a shooting slump or whatever it may be, or even, you know, maybe they're already leading and they're just going to, you know, you crush their opponents even more. Either way, you kind of, we, they've garnered this expectation for they're going to have the run, the Warriors run, you know, it happens every game and we're going to, you know, so it's like all this stuff. But realistically, I think that sometimes it can impact the way that your play is looked at. But at the end of the day, as long as they know when they're playing at their best ability and kind of what their strengths and limitations are then that's really that's good enough for me okay because i clearly they know right they've done this before they've been through the playoffs however many times they've won the championships they have the you know the mvp the regular season mvps they have the finals mvps all these guys so it's like it's they 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 know right and so i think that to a certain extent 
They've earned the right to show off, to upstage themselves. And in a moment where you get blown out in one quarter and, again, a team just gets hot and makes nine threes and, and you know, and makes their first seven in, in you know, in, in one quarter, then, yes, it, it looks – it makes you look bad, especially because it's, the, it's, the, it's, at the, it's at the end of the game. If the Celtics had done that in the first quarter and still won the game by ten, we probably wouldn't be talking about it this way, right? So little perspective there, but I do kind of understand and I get, you know – Kind of the, the the way that Hayden answered the, asked this question, I think that it's it is interesting because I can see I can see truth from both sides. Um, I just don't want it to be like unfairly placed on the Warriors, you know, blaming them for for you know for for showing off when you know it's like well you didn't actually win the game. So I, th- those are those are my thoughts, Hayden. Hayden, what about you? Yeah, well, again, we kind of disagree on this one too. It, it I see where you're coming from, Matt, and and the fact that. I guess the Warriors, like they, they deserve to play like that. I, I totally get that. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I, I think when you compare it to how the Celtics play, and again, this is kind of all put in perspective because the Celtics are such a well-rounded team. But I think when it comes to Steph Curry, especially, he's again. He, I mean, he, well, he's kind of when you think of the Warriors, you think of Steph Curry, right? P- people might argue that Draymond Green is kind of the moral leader and kind of the, I don't know, the um, the hype man on that team. But Steph Curry is the guy when you think of the Warriors. So when you look at Steph Curry and when he's having kind of a, a slump in shooting during a game or if he's not really, you know, if he's getting tired or whatever because he's always running around the court, which, again, that's how they play and it works for them. But if he's not really doing well, you don't really see the other players on his team pick up the slack as much as, you do the Celtics. And I think that we saw that a perfect example of that on Thursday night is when Jason Tatum struggling. He I, literally, I don't think I saw Jason Tatum make a three. He might've made a, made a three at some point, but I think he was like one for 13 from three or something like that. But every time I saw him put up a three, I was like, okay, well, it's not going to go in. It's probably going to be Warriors rebound. All right, here we go again. You know, that kind of thing. And that's tough to see your best player and kind of, the guy, when you think of the Celtics, Jason Tatum, it's tough to see that guy go into a shooting slump for the whole entire game. But the Celtic, the other Celtics players and the supporting cast on that team showed that they, you know, they can kind of pick up the slack for him and, and they can do it in a way where they can score 40 points in a quarter when their best player is not doing well. I think that's, that says a lot about the Celtics. And I think that, again, the war, you know, with the whole Warriors, like, flashy play and everything like that I feel like even though they're pros and even though like Matt said they'll figure it out and they probably know okay you know this is just a this is just one game we're going to come back and just keep on doing our thing that we usually do and that we have for many years winning championships I I totally understand that and I totally am taking that into account when I say this but I do think that the Warriors still are human right so if they do get into get into a shooting slump, and if their best player is not you know not shooting well at any point in the game, the other players are probably like, oh snap! the The Celtics at least have shown that they can shine in the moment and pick up the slack of of their best player. Can we do the same? I don't think that the Warriors do that as well as the Celtics do. I think that's my main mar- my main argument here. And I think that that's a that's a pretty fair argument. No, definitely. I, you know, I didn't even really kind of think about that aspect. And it's true. Seth Curry had 34 points yeah, um, in that game, and exactly. he led the Warriors. I think I don't even know who scored the second. I think Clay had maybe like 20 ish. Um, Jordan Poole, I think, had 21 or something. So yeah, I mean, Steph Curry was definitely the you know the the uh, the shining star for that 
for that game. And so I think that, yeah, that's true to a certain extent. And, and this is, but the thing is too, like when I hear you say that, I, I it's a hundred percent true. My thing though, is that's just like, this is kind of the first time that we've seen a game in which Jason Tatum plays this badly. We've seen him had, you know, kind of mediocre games like those, you know, those games against Miami where, you know, they lost by 20 points or whatever. Um, you, you know, and he, and he played well, I'd say pretty much every game against the Bucks, but like, this is kind of the first time when we've seen this happen. So I think that's kind of a good point that Hayden raises is like what happens when your best player isn't, isn't performing up to his ability to what's expected of him to do. And obviously, you know, he's been high on Jalen Brown and, and, and everything, but it's like, it is, it does matter for a guy like that, or, you know, one of your teammates to be able to really pick up the slack. And so, and so I completely agree with what he said. And I think that that's, almost a point that, you know, everybody's kind of going to say that, right? It's like, well, yeah, obviously Jason Tatum didn't have his best game, but it's like he didn't have his best game and they still, and they still won. They still won pretty, you know, by double digits. So it's like, that's, you know, that's, that's very impressive. And I think that's why it's like, you know, me arguing that the Warriors are going to be fine. You know, they're, you know, it's easy. It's going to be easy for them to win a game in Boston, whatever. Like, obviously let's not, let's not go overboard on the Celtics, but at the same time, there could be a lot of other excuses made for a game in which the Celtics win you know, right? Like, if, if Jason Tatum had had fifty points, we'd be it, the conversation would be completely different, right? We'd be saying that Jason Tatum yeah. should have been the MVP, and then that he's going to carry them to the championship, and he's the reason that the Celtics team is even alive. But it was like, no way! They had this amazing fourth quarter, and it was Al Horford who was hitting all the threes, right? Um, and obviously, he, you know, he's he's a perennial All Star, and this is like his fifteenth year in the league, and so you know, happy for him to obviously you know finally have some uh, finally have some 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 shine, uh, especially in the NBA Finals. But but I think right, I think that's the overarching point is like. There really is no argument against how well the Celtics played in Golden State, winning by double digits against a team that was high, you know, extremely favored and almost expected to win the series uh, from the start. So I think that right, obviously it's a long series. We still got a lot of games to be played, but Hayden's right, especially too when it comes to you know performing when you're when you're expected to perform and at the level at which you're you've you've performed in the past, as well as what people are thinking that you're going to do. It really does matter that your you know your role players are able to step up. Uh, and and really play their hearts out when it when it matters and so you know that's kind of then the question is like we're going to see are the Celtics able to put you know kind of um, I guess you know continue this level of play this level of picking up the slack for for their other players when you know for, for for throughout a seven game series right I don't expect Derek White to have you know five threes and over 20 points every single game in the series and if he does then the Celtics are going to win right and that's just a you know, you can just, you can charge that to the game. So um, I think those are some really good points. I think, you know, we kind of each have a different side of the argument, but I think that we both kind of are in ex- at least explaining each side of the story. And, and in the aftermath of game one, basically like, you know, there's a lot of basketball left to be played, but let's get give credit to uh, where credit is due in terms of how well the Celtics were able to still win that game, despite, you know, despite their rest player, not, uh, not, not really looking the best. So let's transition to the NHL. The Rangers are now in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Lightning. Uh, not only did they pull off a hefty 6-2 win over the Hurricanes in Game 7, that was in Carolina as well, uh, but they recently kicked off their Eastern Conference Final Series with a 6-2 beatdown of Tampa Bay and have since the second they they've since won the second game of the series and and put the rangers up two games to zero over the lightning and so the rangers have had a crazy playoff ride up until this point i mean we think about it they 
they actually, I think they've played all three series so far, or two series have been, both of their, sorry, <laughs> both of their <laughs> playoff series so far have been seven game series. And yeah. the interesting part is, I think they were, they were down, I think they were down, I know they were down 3-1 to the Penguins in the first round. Yeah, they they were. were down 3-2 to the Hurricanes in the second round. So they've essentially, facing facing elimination this playoffs, the Rangers are 5-0. and yeah. I mean, that's insane. That's like, that's the type of clutch genes that we're talking about. And just real quick, I want to get in here too as well. The Lightning were on their kind of one of their you know facing losses elimination type of type of run as well the the lightning in the playoffs and well since since their last loss on a you know on a, a, of a back-to-back loss the lightning have been basically in the last three years the lightning have i think are 19 were 19 and 0 after losing their previous game in the playoffs right so if it was you know whether it was at home or away from home or whatever they have they have consistently won the very next game and and obviously i mean they've you know they've won two championships in a row so clearly yes they that's a record that you would kind of expect them to have but still that's like a that's a crazy streak right to, to some extent it's like the consistency that you're able to have and that and that means too that you know you expect that most of those games were lost away from home which essentially means that they're winning at least one game on the you know on the road pretty much every single time that this happens um so so yeah so each of these teams are kind of now in this role where they're just really clutch they're insanely clutch and obviously we've seen in the first two games the rangers have put it together a lot a lot more and so the lightning actually their streak was broken because now they've lost uh two in a row they lost the first two to the rangers and so you know realistically we're looking at you know obviously me and hayden that's funny because like just I think two weeks ago we were having it. We had an entire topic on the lightning and just being like, "Are they the juggernaut? Are they why? Why is it even? Why are we considering any other team? Uh, yeah. You know, to be to be eligible to win the championship at this point because the lightning are probably just going to three peat. But as we've seen, it's going to be a tough road uh, going forward here for them. And so the question I'm going to ask to Hayden is, what is there to say about not only one but two incredibly difficult comebacks for the Rangers um, in this series so far? And, and well, sorry, in the in the last series against Carolina, but then obviously kind of you know doing their job at home and winning winning both games at home against Tampa Bay um, and then can Tampa Bay be the ones to stop uh, this crazy tear by the Rangers I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are not going to be the ones to stop this tear I think I, I actually do think that the Rangers are going to take this series and I'll give you a reason why so we mentioned that the Rangers came back from being three being down three games to one against the Penguins in the first round of the playoffs they won three straight and obviously moved moved on to the second round. And then in the second round, they had another seven-game series or a series that went to seven games. And Matt mentioned that they were that they were down 3-2. They were down 2-zip to start that series, right? So technically, I mean, they won four, 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 out, of five, five. four out of the next five games um, to take that series. So here, they're sitting pretty at two, at, you know, they're 2-0 they're in this series. And... It's one of those things where, like, if if the Lightning were to come back and if they were to force a Game 7, then, or I guess if, you know, if the Lightning were to, to win three straight here and they were to force the Rangers to win two more to, to get to the Stanley Cup Finals, the Rangers are going to be able to do that. I think that the only question that I have is, like, can they actually keep this, can they keep this boat, I guess this kind of, like, weird boat that they haven't been on the whole entire playoffs um, winning their first two games of, of a series, can they keep that boat afloat? And if they can, then obviously they're not they're not going to have any problem. I think if you if you had a team that you wanted to bet on in terms of like you know if if they do go down three to two all of a sudden against the Lightning, the Lightning win the next three games and they go down three to two, I would probably bet on the Rangers coming back because 
they've done it twice so far against two different teams, the the Penguins and the and the and the Hurricanes. And the Hurricanes were they were a one seed, and so you know they took them out. So it's just it's one of those things where it's like I I don't know I I think that the Rangers are the real deal. I hate saying it because well Matt and I are both kind of childhood Penguins fans, and so when they were playing against Carolina, it's funny because when they were playing the Hurricanes, I really wanted the Hurricanes to beat them, and it just seemed that. You know, it like it was three to two. Hurricanes were up, and I was like, okay, yeah, you know, Hurricanes are gonna win one of the next two, and then the Rangers ended up winning both, and they moved on. And so I was like, okay, well, now they're they're facing the Lightning. The Lightning are definitely gonna win this, and now they're up two zip, and it's yeah, it, it's crazy. They they beat the Lightning six to two in their first win over the Lightning, which was unheard of. I mean, people were asking after the game, they were like, have they finally exposed Andre Vasilevsky, who is the the goaltender uh, uh, for the Lightning, like, because this, I mean, Vasilevsky's been really good the whole entire playoffs, but, you know, who's been better? Igor Shosturkin, that's right, and that, that that's our guy, dude, like, he is, this man is, I don't know, he he's, he's an animal, I have a little stat pulled up here, um, it's from, it's from Bleacher, whoa, it's from Bleacher Report, and uh, it's called Identical Identical Igor. So basically, against the, the last two games against the Hurricanes and um, the first game against the Lightning, so this is not counting the, the most recent game against the Lightning. So game six and game seven against the Hurricanes and the first game one against the Lightning, Igor Shosturkin was, uh, he saved 37 out of 39 pucks in all of those games. So he had a 94.9% uh, save percentage in all three of those games. And it, it, I mean, they call him identical Igor because identical and Igor start with the same letter, I guess, which is kind of corny, but that's not the point. He it's the point is that he's, you know, I, by now he's probably the best goaltender that so far in the playoffs um, in terms of what he's shown. And I think that the rest of his players really feed off of that. And if he's playing well, I think, you know, the, the rest of the team is playing well. Again, they don't really, I mean, they have like, or Timmy Panarin, uh, I can't. I don't know if I can even really name another guy in their in their front ice part. I don't Mark Zabinizad. <laughs> Zabinizad, do you, Matt? Do you know what they call the the? Do they just call it like forward play, or is it just like forwards wings? Yeah, forward, yeah, yeah. Okay, because it's not like front court, back court, like no, like no. basketball. Okay, yeah. So I'll just call it forward play. Um, again, I'm kind of new to following hockey closely, so those guys, they have, you know, they have those names, but again, they're not like your, they're not your Steven Stamkos, they're not your Nikita uh, Kucherov, right? So, in in that sense, I think it's, I I think it's kind of you got to give even more credit to the Rangers because they don't really have those superstars in the and you know in 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 their forward play or even their defensive play. Um, that you know these other powerhouses in the still left in the playoffs do so again it's it's kind of an unlikely story but I do think that the Rangers are gonna gonna move past the Lightning here again just because even if they are put in a a bad situation and if they are you know if if they are down one or two games in the series they've shown multiple times that they can come back and, and take the series I, I like it. Um, I think it's funny because I think you're kind of right in the sense that it's almost like they're one of those teams that plays so well as an underdog that it's like, what are they going to look like now that they're going to be favored? Yeah. Right? Or that they're like playing with a lead essentially. Um, but I, I do agree. I think that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're clearly, they're solid and they've proved themselves to this point. It was funny that I was actually watching, I, I was watching game one and it was very high scoring, but it was, I think it was. It was like 3-2 Rangers after the first period, and then they scored like five or six minutes into the second period. So, And I heard one of the announcers um, 
you know, kind of say this this crazy stat, which everybody kind of knew, like I knew, but didn't really put it together. Halfway through the second period, well, so essentially halfway through the game of game one of this series, the Lightning had allowed more goals than they allowed in the entire series against the Panthers, the Florida Panthers in their previous series. They played, you know, obviously they swept the Panthers, but they only allowed three goals in the entire series against the Panthers. And now obviously, I mean, the Rangers have, have, have put up, you know, I think 10 goals or nine goals, um, you know, so far in, in two games. So so this this Rangers team is clearly solid. They're, they're you know, they're legit. They're here um, and, and they've proved themselves so far. I do think also, I, I want to say, they're. I don't think they're the like the actual youngest team, but they're like top five, top 10 youngest teams in the NHL. So it's like one of those crazy moments where, you know, this, if, if they keep this kind of core together, they could be, they could be, kind of you know they could be really setting something up here um for 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 a while to come and then kind of just to to go off the point that hayden was mentioning about uh, about the about the names um i'm thinking about all the goalies names and it's and it's actually it's so funny because do you know all of them hayden i don't know if you do or not but do you still, know all still the names left of the goals? yeah that are yeah still. well i know the oilers is mike smith so that's right? what i was gonna yeah. say so it's andre vasilevsky <laughs> yeah. for the lightning it's igor shesterkin for the for the rangers it's darcy kemper for the avalanche and mike smith, <laughs> smith for the dude. oilers it's like the it's like you would never expect like this like a hockey goalie in the western conference yeah. finals and his name is just mike smith <laughs> and he's like okay i mean he's not great he's, he's already let in like 15 goals in two <laughs> games against the avalanche that's that series is crazy high scoring yeah um but but yeah so that was kind of my my last point there so we can transition to our last topic uh that has to do with the nf nf nfl it's about aaron donald so i don't know if a a lot of you might have seen that interview i don't exactly know who he did the interview with it was on espn somewhere i don't know who it you know who interviewed him or what series or documentary was part of if it even was anything like that maybe it was just some sort of sit down thing and they were pretty much essentially asking him like hey you know remember after the super bowl when you basically clinched the nfc championship game and also the super bowl like in two straight games and you're basically the reason that the rams you know won this super bowl um you, you know what what's next basically and and you know he kind of went on that in in like basically after the super bowl he was just like i i would be comfortable retiring at this point and that was kind of like oh my gosh is he actually gonna do that and people are like no he's not gonna do that well in this interview he essentially said because again they were kind of asking questions and whatever but that boils down to his point was basically i'm like the you know 100th highest paid player in the nfl i think he's set to make like 15 million dollars next year or whatever and he's basically like I want to make the most money. I want to be paid the highest paid defensive player in the league uh, or I'm going to retire. And it's like, I don't, I don't really know how to, how to like respond to, cause I, okay, he, like, here's my thought process on this, right? Is like, you just won a Super Bowl, and you're kind of the reason that you won the Super Bowl. So yes, you know, and, and arguably the, I mean, he's won however many defensive player of the years now he's, he is the best defensive player in the NFL. That is, you know, that is objectively true. And so you want to make the most money in the NFL, but if you don't get it, you're going to turn down getting paid so much money to begin with and then retire when like basically the entire team's coming back from a Super Bowl winning team last year. I just don't understand the logic in that argument. And again, it, he he has the full right to do whatever he wants because he is the best defensive player in the NFL. He's already proven, essentially, like he said, you know, this is what he said in the interview, was like, I've already proven everything I can do, right? I've, I've won the defensive player of the year. I've, you know, essentially, he should have won an MVP. It's just because they give it to quarterbacks all the time. Um, you know, he won a Super Bowl. He's, he's done everything he can do. So resume-wise, he's already a Hall of Famer. He can retire today and be a first ballot. And, and you know, his, his name is in the history books of the NFL. He's already accomplished all of that. So that's awesome. But it's like... 
my thing now is like, why do you, why do you all of a sudden only care about the money? I mean, I get that, you know, you want to build generational wealth, you all that. I, I, fine, sure. But I feel like to a certain extent, A, if you're on a football team, like the, the main goal should be to win football games. And if you love playing the game of football, then you should continue to want to play football and win as much as you possibly can. Like, why are you satisfied? I just feel like it's not, it's almost like he's the ultimate competitor, but the way that he talks and the way that this whole situation has gone down is like, does not have the football competitive spirit that you would assume that he would have. Like, obviously we talk so much about Tom Brady and, and the reason that he's still playing is because he's just too competitive. He can't stay out of the game and he's healthy enough to play and he's good enough to play and he's getting even better, you know, despite getting so much older, he, you know, he just won a Super Bowl two years ago. So it's like all this stuff, but it's, you know, and you just see, I mean, you don't even have to watch man in the arena or all these, all these documentaries they're doing on Tom Brady to know that he is the most focused, you know, laser eyed competitive, you know, beast that there is, you know, just football mind, you know, spirit, everything. He lives and breathes football. And and then you look at the best defensive player in the world, and it's like he's just kind of like, yeah, I won the Super Bowl, you know, got all these defensive player of the years, and uh, you know, I really just I really just want to make money or else I'm just gonna leave. And it's like I don't I don't I don't know. I mean I get that obviously yes, if I was in that position I wouldn't know how to, I would probably react in a similar way that he would. Okay, fine. But I just, I feel like it was just an interesting way for him to say that, especially because he's not really been super outspoken about this stuff before, right? If he was always like, I need to make my money, I need to make my money, you know, whatever team's going to pay me the most, I'm going to go there and that's fine. But he's always been such a team guy. Like, let's get some players around me. Let's win the Super Bowl. And that's exactly what they did. And so that brings me to my second point, which is essentially like, if you want to win a Super Bowl, you cannot be, and you're the best player in, you know, in on your side of the ball, right? Not only the best defensive tackle, the best defensive player in the entire league. Yes, you deserve to make the most money. I that That is logically true. I mean, that is, you know, as, as true as it can get. Factual, right? But... If you want to win a Super Bowl, and we've seen Tom Brady do this year in and year out when he was still with the Patriots, you kind of have to take more or take less money in order to pay better players to also play around alongside you in order to win a Super Bowl. And that's exactly what they did. They got Matthew Stafford. They got Odell Beckham Jr. They got Jalen Ramsey, right? All these stars that are on the Rams now who essentially, you know, helped them win the Super Bowl this year are because of Aaron Donald basically being like, I'm willing to take a pay cut because I want to win a Super Bowl. And now he's completely changed his tune just because they won the Super Bowl. So I think it's just almost a little bit unfair, the situation that he's putting the Rams in now to where it's like, oh, well, I'm totally fine with my money as long as we can win. And now he's like, well, we won. So now I'm not even going to listen to it unless I'm, you know, unless I'm being paid a certain amount. So those are kind of my thoughts. Again, obviously I can see where he's coming from. And if I was in his exact same position, you know, to make, double or triple the amount of money that I'm making, you know, in a year to set up my kids for college and their kids for college and just every, yes, I like life wise, it makes sense to go after the most money you possibly can. I just think that from a, from a football perspective and just from everything that we've seen from Aaron Donald in the past, I just didn't really expect him to kind of take this perspective um, and, and kind of, you know, say these things in the way that he did. So Hayden, what do you make of this Aaron Donald situation? Yeah, well, I think, I think all that stuff is right, but I think another thing is, and this is a little bit of, I guess, comedic relief, if you if you want to call it, or comic relief. I don't even know which one it is. Comedic, comic, it's kind of the same thing. But anyway, yeah, this this point here is kind of a little bit funny, and it's that, like, I think what he, what he doesn't want to happen to him is exactly kind of what happened to guys like Ben Roethlisberger, where, like, 
he wants to ride off into the sunset. I mean, Peyton Manning was is a perfect example of a guy that rode off into the sunset after the you know after after the Broncos won that Super Bowl. He was like, all right, I'm done. You know, I want to. It's kind of like stop when you're up, right? That everybody. If you if you if you've ever played golf with people. A lot of people say like, okay, well, if I make this hole in one, I'm gonna stop playing golf forever because then you end on a on a hole in one, and what's better than ending on that? What's better than ending on a Super Bowl in football? That's kind of the whole idea. But like, I think that what Aaron Donald want, doesn't want to happen, and again, it probably won't happen to him because he's still, I guess, kind of on the younger side, and he definitely is not gonna regress fast enough to the point where he gets to Ben Roethlisberger's point and then retires. But Matt makes a great point of 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 you know like. Well, why does he want to take other guys' money that he basically gave to them beforehand just to win a Super Bowl? And then once once they win win the Super Bowl, he kind of switches up and he's like, "Okay, well, I want all the money back, and you guys need to pay me, or else I'm gone." Right? Again, I don't think it really has much to do with his skill because he's not going to get overweight and then screw up his elbow and then like suck for two years like Ben Roethlisberger did before he retired. We all know that he's, you know, he's a dynamic or he's like one of the greatest athletes ever. And if, I mean, if you've ever seen him shirtless, well, of course I had to bring that up. But I mean, oh, if you if you have, you know what I'm talking about. So skin worse. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, shout out dad. If you're listening to this, you're probably rolling your eyes right now. But um, yeah, so so like if you've ever seen that, you know that I mean, he's not going to get out of shape ever. And uh, he's again like one of the most dominant players to ever play the game, so I I I think that Matt's right here, and he's kind of pointing out the the right things in terms of like this is definitely just about money. It's not even like his his choice to retire is not even c- remotely close to like his physical condition because yeah. he's in perfect f- physical condition, and he could play probably like five more years and still be good. So I don't know. I I think that yeah, I think that Matt's right in the whole sense of like he's I don't know he he sounds like it's again it's it's one of those things that a lot of other NFL players want they want more money and we've we've seen guys hold out and and you know hold out of of um, OTAs and stuff like that all the time for more money but it's a little bit more exaggerated here with Aaron Donald first of all because it was such a clean interview that he was doing it's like picture perfect Um, but also because he is the best defensive player in the league, and also because it's just like he just won a Super Bowl, and he is now just switching up. That's that's a it's one thing that I don't really get. But yeah, Matt, do you have anything else to to say about? No, no, I think I made I, I pretty much made my point. Um, I know we're kind of we have about ten minutes left over here. If you want to, Hayden, we can talk about the match. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. Really, did you watch it very? I didn't really. I actually, I actually watched like every single hit. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Get your thoughts. I'll kind of be, be brief here. I didn't, I didn't really watch much of it. I kind of kept up on my phone. Um, I know that obviously, you know, Brady and Rogers got out to a good start, and then Mahomes and Allen came back, and then obviously, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers won it with a clutch putt. Um, I think some of that might have been for TV. The whole like them coming back thing because I don't think Josh, I don't think Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are as good at golf as the other guys are, but. Then I didn't really watch the holes, and people that did watch it said that they were surprised, especially by how, especially by how good Patrick Holmes was. Yeah, he was um, really yeah, good. Yeah. So, so Hayden, go ahead. Yeah, he. I don't know. It was it was weird because like I think it was the it was the I know it was the first hole where Aaron Rodgers hit this like really good drive. I mean, they were all slicing their drives right basically, and so like they they knew to start out left, start aiming left, even on the first hole. 
and they all slice it. Well, they all slice their drives, but Aaron Rodgers just sliced his into the fairway while everybody else sliced theirs more right. And so, like, Aaron Rodgers was pretty – well, I think I, I think Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes were the only ones in the fairway on that hole. And then after that, yeah, it just seemed – it. I don't know. It, it seemed like – Patrick Mahomes was definitely carrying Josh Allen. I don't like Josh Allen. <laughs> I don't even think that Josh Allen had any kind of memorable hit in the match. Like he was definitely the the worst player by far. But that's not. I mean, he's a great football player, so we can't. You know, we can't knock him for that. But in terms of like, oh, I, I've I've seen a lot of people say that Aaron Rodgers carried Tom Brady. I don't know. Again, I might just be biased because I love Tom Brady with a passion, but. I don't think that that really was the case. Again, I think that his game-winning or his match-winning match, match winning putt at the end, his uh, birdie putt, which, again, that was his that was his own birdie. So they took his tee shot. Uh, they took Aaron Rodgers' tee shot, and then Aaron Rodgers ended up being the one to put it in. So that was his own birdie, which, again, hats off to him. But I don't really think – I mean, Aaron Rodgers is probably like the most – he was probably the most consistent throughout the whole match. But I think that Tom Brady definitely – um, added a lot to that team and yeah it was just it was kind of surprising to uh, like Matt said to, to see that Patrick Mahomes and 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 Josh Allen actually were in the lead for a good part of that last stretch there um, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers got out to an early lead and then Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen kind of came back and then Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers came back again and then ended up winning but one thing that I do want to mention here is if you haven't listened to the well, I mean, the match already passed, but we did it. We hopped on the Substantiate podcast with um, with William Glasser. If you guys haven't checked that out, go and check it out because we actually we talked about the match, and this was this was probably like a month ago. This was before, yeah, this is before I went on my cruise, Matt. <laughs> Can you believe that? Um, but yeah, this was this was a month ago probably, and we talked about the match, and I think it ended up being we basically just did a bunch of stuff like talking about focus and um, ability to come back and I guess like competitiveness and stuff like that. And we gave all of those players, the four players that were in the match, they, we gave them rankings based on how they play football. And then we kind of translated that to golf in order to kind of evaluate which team we thought was going to win the match. And I think, I think um, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes ended up winning by one. There was like nine different categories and I think they ended up winning by one category and I thought that it was actually going to end up Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes winning at all. And I was like, dude, th this is crazy. Like we kind of I've, obviously they were the underdogs coming into the match. But then I was going to be like, wow, we went on substantiate podcasts and we, you know, ended up predicting everything that happened. But that's not how it turned out, unfortunately. But yeah, it was it was a cool thing to watch. Though. It was definitely like I mean, the, the spectacle of it is 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 kind of only half of it. It's really like the banter and the trash talk and Charles Barkley is like basically 50% of the production as well. He's, he's so funny. I mean, literally like if you watch the, if you watch the match, it's basically just everybody ganging up on Charles Barkley and then him like saying some stupid response back and everybody laughing. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really funny though. So if you guys haven't gotten a chance to watch any of them, I think there's been four so far or something like that. Definitely look out, uh, be, be on the lookout for the next one. They usually do one around Memorial Day weekend, and then I think they do another one. I don't know the the, the last one against um, or the last one between Bryson and Burks Kepka was I think over winter break or something like that. But they do it in, in a warm place. But yeah, the, I think they'll probably start doing two a year by now. Um, but I don't know. It Tom Brady, he he was zero two before this match, 
And now he's obviously one and two in the matches that he's played in. So um, I guess it was kind of fitting that he won because there was a stat that said that like he hasn't, I think he's, he's never lost three games in a row in his whole entire NFL career, which is insane. Like that's, that's actually crazy. And he's also never, he's never started out a season. Oh, and two, which was kind of funny because he started out um, his, his record in the matches were Oh, and two before, before this past Friday or whenever it was, or that wasn't, no, it was Wednesday. What am I saying? Yeah. So, uh, so good for Brady there. He's, he's kind of translating his Bradyness over to golf, I guess. But yeah, that about wraps it up for today's episode. We are right at about an hour right now. So try to get to that hour for you guys, but I don't know. It may or may not happen. We're at 57 minutes right now. We're beating the clock, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. We will be back. Most likely on Tuesday, barring again, barring any any kind of things that come up. But again, it's it's just been kind of a busy time, especially for Matt because he just got married and he's you know moving into his new place, and then his wife's mom is moving into a new place, and they you know they're getting moved and everything like that. So um, yeah, hopefully soon it'll be cleared up and we'll be back on a consistent schedule. We've been con- as consistent as we can be over the past few or I guess over the past month um so yeah pat on the back to ourselves but hope you guys are enjoying the content we will be starting at basically after after the NHL honestly once the NHL playoffs start we and the obviously the NBA finals will be um wait did I say NBA playoffs all right sorry once the NHL Stanley Cup finals start and the NBA playoffs are completely done um that's when we'll probably start getting into ncaa stuff we'll be getting into nfl stuff too because i don't want to talk about baseball matt might want to talk a little bit about baseball here and there but i probably won't be contributing to that much but we will start uh our ncaa doomsday series so be on the lookout for that we're probably going to have our friend alex Beaudry um on the podcast for our first episode of that kind of our introduction because he's got a lot of stuff to say about that whole thing. And, um, he, he asked us to come back on the pod to actually talk about that, which we are flattered to have him back on. So that will definitely be coming up. Be on the lookout for that probably around, uh, end of June, July ish. So yeah, that'll be fun. Hope you guys have a great rest of the weekend and we'll catch you guys on Tuesday.